Thank you, Will. It's good to be with all of you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Drew Holland. My family and I have been worshiping here at uh, Starkville First for about a year and a half. We uh, typically worship up the hill, uh, but I'm glad to be here and to have a good excuse to be here to preach this morning. Um, I am an elder in the North Alabama Conference. I serve churches over there and in Kentucky for uh, about 10 years, and uh, I'm out of the pulpit now, uh, teaching the Bible and theology to students uh, and pastors alike, so it's great to be back here, even though uh, I'm sorry that it took uh, Pastor Jim being sick for me to be here, but it is a good uh, moment for, for me to, to come down the hill and to be with y'all finally uh, and to share God's word with you. Uh, our scripture this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 uh, through 25. Hear God's word. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word today. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So there are a few kinds of people in this world that I've heard exist, but I've never met them before. One is apparently there are people out there who believe that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Let me tell you, it is a Christmas movie. It is about hostages waiting for their deliverer in December, right? This is a Christmas movie. I refuse to hear arguments to the contrary. Another is I've heard there are people who like their brownies cakey. Right, you know, you look in the back of the brownie box and it says if you want your brownies fudgy, make them this way. If you want them cakey, make them this way. I know not a single person who prefers their brownies dry and spongy when you could have them chocolatey. I don't know, but apparently these people exist. Another is I've heard there are people who are good with names. Never met anybody who is good with names. Everybody I know says, oh, I'm terrible with names. I myself am terrible with names, right? I met uh, a few new folks this morning. Sorry, I'm terrible with names because here's what happens with me. I can't speak for others, but 
When I meet people, uh, they introduce themselves, they say their name, but while they are telling me their name, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, is there food on my face? Uh, is my, am I wearing the right clothes? Do I have nose hair poking out? Uh, and I'm too consumed with myself, and I forget what their name is, and I have to ask them again later, and I'm just totally embarrassed. And I do the old Seinfeld, like, oh, hey, you, and I just kind of forget about this, right? I've never known anybody who really thinks they are good with names. What is it about a name anyway? What, is it really all that important to know someone else's name? Because isn't a name just a label? Just some words that mark a person? Does it really have to do with our identity? Well, I think it does. I think a name is crucially important. Maybe you know this because when you were in middle school, you were teased and called a name that was not your own. I myself was a rather chubby child, and I had an older brother, and he called me all kinds of names. I have still not forgotten it. I'm waiting for the day of revenge on him, or I'm almost 40, but I'm going to get my revenge on my brother for all those names he called me. Names are important. Uh, I remember uh, watching one time this documentary about Holocaust survivors. There was uh, one lady who was a child during the Holocaust, and for years she was in uh, a labor camp, and she said that she realized that when she was in that labor camp, that the thing she took for granted the most about her former life was that she had a name. Because instead, she had been called for years and years by her prison number and not by her name. A name is crucial. A name is precious. A name means something. The name that you have, I promise you, your parents got in some kind of argument about giving you what or what name they were going to give you, right? Parents argue about this. If you have been the parent who has given a child a name, you know that this is crucially important. My wife and I spent days and days with our two kids, and we decided to name them after family members that we loved, and so we carry these names on, and we think it is so important. There's something very intimate, very personal about a name. And in the Bible story this morning, Jesus gets his name, or shall I say, names in the plural. Because the angel comes to Joseph, and the angel says, you shall name him Jesus. Now, Jesus is a Greek name. Uh, many first century Jews had a Greek name and a Hebrew name. The Hebrew corollary to Joseph is Joshua. Right? or Yeshua, literally in Hebrew, but we would transliterate that in English, Joshua. So Jesus, Joshua, the same name. Of course, a famous biblical character from the Old Testament. And it's a name that means the Lord saves. Now, this is all well and good, and this is the name that Joseph gives the child, but the angel throws another name in there as well. He quotes the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, where Isaiah says that the child will be named not Jesus, Joshua, but Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which we get, we get the explanation here, it means God with us. But Joseph ends up naming the child Jesus, the first name. What is up with this? Why would uh, the angel throw in this extra name? Emmanuel, God with us. Because Joseph ends up naming the child the Lord saves. But here's the deal. 
The way that our God works is by being with us. This is the method through which God saves. God saves by becoming one of us. Perhaps in your Western Civ classes, you remember your teachers talking about the deists. Deists starting with Voltaire in the 1600s, 1700s. These were the really enlightened, rational folks who thought that God was like a watchmaker. That God just made the world, wound it up, let it go, and was not involved. But this is not the God of Israel. This is not the God that we encounter in Scripture, because the God that we encounter in Scripture is a God who is very intimately involved in our lives. So much so that in order for the Lord to save us, the Lord comes to be with us. The theologian Sam Wells says that the most important word in all of Christian theology is the word with. Just that simple preposition. The fact that God comes to be with us in a child. And the person that Jesus was named for, this Joshua, this biblical Joshua, if you know his story, he's the one that took over leadership from Moses and led the people into the promised land. He fought all the battles. He had a huge task in front of him. But before Joshua ever does this, before Joshua again, whose name means the Lord saves, does this, here is what God says to Joshua. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The message to the first Joshua, Jesus, is go and do what I'm about to tell you, not because you are a great military leader and great leader of men, but because I first am with you. I am with you. We have a God who comes to be with us, and this is what Jesus does. When Jesus comes to save us, this is not God distantly somewhere pushing a magic button, sending a spell, making the world right from a distance. This is God coming to be in the nitty-gritty with us. Jesus is God at childhood, adolescence, teenage years, adulthood. This is God coming to know what it's like to be one of God's beloved creatures. And that even includes the times in which you and I feel abandoned. Right? God doesn't run when things get rough. God didn't say, well, you know, these Romans and these Jewish elders, they're, they're not really liking Jesus, so let's just kind of start this, so let's just let's hit the reset button here. No. God comes to be in it with us. God is a God who comes to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, to the point where God will allow Christ to take on the most embarrassing, painful punishment of death that he did not deserve, and then for three entire days, know the depths of human experience in death. God does not run from even those feelings of abandonment. Those of you who are of a certain age may remember a uh, Time magazine cover several decades ago during the Vietnam War of this young little girl running away from a village. She had no clothes on. She was screaming in pain because she, her village had been bombed with napalm and her clothes had been singed off. She was crying in pain, just an excruciating picture of the Vietnam War and the horrors of that war. And that little girl came to be known in popular culture as simply Napalm Girl. 
Well, Napalm Girl has a name, and her name was Fan Ti Kim Fook. And Fan Ti Kim Fook, after that excruciating moment, had surgeries from specialists all over the world, flown all over the world, dozens and dozens of surgeries to ease her suffering and her pain, never has fully recovered. But she never let that stop her. For, uh, for, despite her pain, despite the excruciating pain that she went through and all of the surgeries, she went, she started a family, she got an education, even got a PhD. And in the process of her rather miraculous life, she became a Christian. And one time a reporter asked her, why did you become a Christian? What was it about Christianity that attracted you? And she said, I was attracted to the fact that God would not be distant, but would come to suffer with us. Someone who has suffered more pain than you and I could possibly imagine. And even known, being known by, throughout the world for that pain, she comes to know the God who comes to inhabit that pain with her. The theologian Oscar Romero says, when you feel like God is far away, that is when he is actually really close. So if you are the child being teased at the middle school lunch table called names, if you get that note from the doctor that says, I'm sorry, we tried everything that we could. If your spouse says to you, I don't love you anymore. Or maybe you're just one of the countless numbers of folks who is looking at the sun setting at about 4.30 every day, looking at the darkness and, and the cold of this time of year, and you feel like it is, the darkness is symbolic of the life that you live in, that you feel abandoned by the world around you. God knows it. God goes there with us. God is with us, and this is precisely how God saves us, to bear with us and to not abandon us. Jesus also came very close to knowing the abandonment of being a child who was unwanted, right? Joseph very, could, have, could have very easily, legally said to Mary and this unborn child, since I'm not the father, I will dismiss you. By the terms of the laws of the Torah, as a faithful Jew, he could have done this. But I'm captivated by the fact that, that I think Joseph understood the deeper point of the Torah. You see the Torah, these 613 laws, this whole collection was less about each particular law than it is about what the, the fact that God has covenanted with this people. That God says, you have done nothing to deserve this, but you will be my people. I will be your God. Joseph knows that as a Jew, he is himself adopted. He is not abandoned. He is adopted into the love of God, into the family of God for nothing that he has done outside of just being born. Perhaps it's this love, this understanding of who he is as a child of God, someone who could have easily been abandoned, one of the people who could have easily been abandoned that leads him to adopt, to take on this child that was not his. There's a lot of talk uh, these days about biblical manhood, right? There, the numbers of men in the church is declining, and there are lots of pastors out there wondering, what can we do? Should we, like, you know, go out and have more basketball leagues, or, uh, you know, should we take the guys to the shooting range? Like, 
That's not biblical manhood. Biblical manhood is doing what you've got to do for God, no matter what it looks like, no matter how, uh, how much pride you have to swallow. This is what Jesus uh, is, is receives from Joseph. He is adopted by his earthly father, though he could have been abandoned. And this is each of us as well, right? It, I'm guessing most of us, if not all of us, are not Jewish. We are not of this family of God that has been adopted in the first covenant. We come through the blood of Christ. Again, not for anything we've done. Not because we are especially good people, but simply for having faith in Christ. We are the adopted sons and daughters of God. We, as, as the writer of Ephesians says, we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of God. And Paul puts it this way in Romans 8. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of what? Adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, Dad, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. We share in the glory of the inheritance of our Father, though it's nothing that we have done to deserve it. And though many times we abandon God anyways. We say, thanks God, I know you put the way in front of me, but I don't want to do it. God says, that's fine, but you're welcome back anytime. Still, you're still mine. You're still my beloved adopted child. I refuse to let you be abandoned. I will be with you. And so this is why as Christians, we, our job really is, is to adopt those who feel abandoned in various ways throughout the holiday season. Uh, my family and I just uh, have partaken in a few things that our church does, right? We serve meals to those who are kind of left out on Thanksgiving. Uh, we pack shoe boxes. And as, as a church, we do this not because, you know, this maybe gets us another jewel on our crown one day or because it, you know, it makes us feel good about ourselves. We can pat ourselves on the back. We do this because our status is first as those who have been adopted, could have been abandoned by all, for everything we have done, we should be. But God adopts us anyways. God brings us into his fold. God knows our names. I love the way that's put throughout Scripture. Take, for example, Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. John 10. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. In the darkness of this season, in the ways that you may feel abandoned, and the ways that we become less names than we become maybe a number on a credit card that we put into the Amazon website, or a credit score so that we can get that big ticket item. When our names are forgotten by the rest of the world, God knows our names. A name is important, a name is a gift. God knows this because he is our adopted father. We are brought into his family for no other reason and the sheer love he has for us. This is Love Sunday. As we've already heard this morning, we lit the candle of love. We are beloved by God. He knows our names. 
he is intimately passionate about us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving and merciful God, we remember during this season that we have no business with you. For you are holy. You are beyond all the power that we could muster on our own or even imagine. But yet you, in your infinite wisdom, receive us. You intimately know us. We are your children. You adopt us. You call us by name. You do this in the depths of a season in which we are often forgotten. We become numbers. We become someone that gets lost in the shadows. But God, you are there, even in the deepest shadow. For that, we thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray.